The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Welcome to Our Wild World. Today we have our special guest is uh, Dr. Max Graham, founder and CEO of Space for Giants in uh, Kenya. And Max is joining us live today from Laikipia, Kenya. And welcome, Max. Thank you very much, Ellie. Good to be online with you. It's good to have you here. Thanks so much. This was the show that uh, we inadvertently... um, were unable to air a couple of weeks ago, so I'm really pleased you could come back and join us. So I'd like to give just a little background about you, Max, and then we'll we'll take off. We have a some interesting territory to cover today, and I'd love for everybody to hear what it is you're doing. So Max has uh, been living in Kenya for uh, the past what 20 years, 18 years. No, I've been living here sort of pretty much consistently for the last 13 years. Okay. You're fluent yeah. in Kiswahili, and you've worked on environment and development projects in uh, Afghanistan, Ecuador, Kenya, Zimbabwe, and Gabon. He's been involved in elephant research and conservation since 2000, and in 2006 was awarded a Ph.D. from the University of Cambridge. He's published numerous scientific papers on elephant behavior, human-elephant conflict, and wildlife conservation and in 2012 became a member of the IUCN African Elephant Specialist Group. Max is also a visiting academic of the Department of Geography at the University of Cambridge and the chairman of the Laikipia Wildlife Forum's Conservation Committee. He's been based in North Kenya for more than a decade. So, Max, can you tell us a little bit about what anything that I might have left out about you that you're interested in sharing and what Space for Giants is and um, how that all comes about to be the Lycopia Wildlife Forum. Thanks very much, Ellie, for that glowing introduction. Um, (laughs) Ellie, you know, I I think probably, you know, I I could give you a a bit of background to Space for Giants because while I've been uh, living and working in northern Kenya for the last more than a decade. Um, Space for Giants is still a relatively new um, organization. I mean, we've, we had our official launch in the UK House of Lords um, in December 2011. Uh, and, and the reason we, you know, that Space for Giants has come about is, is because 
Um, after over 10 years of applied research in the ground, and, and I, my focus is much around human elephant conflict, um, there were two issues that, that, that emerged that really changed my thinking and inspired my, my colleagues to set space for giants. The first was that while there was a lot of things we could do to try and mitigate human elephant conflict, and by that I mean primarily the raiding of crops by elephants, the underlying challenge was one of land use planning. Uh, land use change was the challenge and land use planning seemed the And so that required a different sort of approach to the ones that you know, I'd experienced and, 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 and the ones that we've been working on. I'm going to interrupt just one little um, second. Um, uh, we are, I'm, I am losing you a couple of times in sound. Um, so I just want our listeners to be aware that there, there is a continuing conversation going on here. And probably during a break, we're going to reconnect because we're missing out some of what Max said. Uh, first off, space for giants. Giants are elephants, in case our um, audience didn't get that. And Max is very involved in working on land use. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation because as Max has, dis- dis- uh, has realized, like many of us in, let's call it the new conservation model, it's not just about species survival. It's about where can these species survive. So that's where land use becomes really, really important. So um, Max, uh, please continue. Thanks. Thanks very much, Ellie. I'm sorry I'm breaking up, but um, I suppose we're a very long way away here. Um, so, Ellie, yeah, no, I mean, land use, land use change, you know, it's a big challenge. And it's not just a challenge for elephants. It's a, it's a challenge for, for biodiversity. And um, what Space for Giants um, does is it uses elephants as a rallying point for, for action um, around securing areas for biodiversity to survive, to survive into the future. And, and, and really, that's, that's, that's what Space for Giants is about. It's, it's ultimately about securing space in an increasingly human-dominated world. So, so how do you do this? I mean, what is the actual on-the-ground process? I mean, we're having a very interesting conversation, and it's all in the you know, sort of the cerebral world. So what does that really translate to on the ground that requires an entity like the Lycopia Wildlife Forum, not necessarily in particular, but private land versus the, the national park or the public park or the, the state park, and working with a variety of people to create, what do you want to call it, a corridor to secure this space? What actually needs to happen to make space available for giants? Well, I think that's a, a very good question. I mean, um, you know, the, what, what you're dealing with, with um, when you have a, an animal um, as big as an elephant, you know, and, and you know, a six and a half ton animal, you know, they can get up to six and a half tons. They eat a lot of food and they move across huge distances. Um, so, for example, we've got an elephant here, a, a real mover called Guilford. And Guilford's got a home range of 6,000 square kilometers. Um, and that's pretty small compared to the elephants of Namibia 
and you know Mali. I mean, the elephants of Mali, and there are still elephants surviving in Mali despite the existing security challenges. They're moving. They've got home ranges in excess of 40,000 square kilometers. Wow. So that just gives you some perspective of the the area that elephants are, are moving. So over 80% of the existing African elephant range is located outside of officially designated protected areas. And that means they're living in places that are occupied by people. They're living in places occupied by farmers, by pastoralists, by ranchers. And it means that if elephants are to have a future, then those landscapes beyond just the formally protected areas need to be considered in conservation planning. And this really has, you know, in terms of sort of conservation, it's really changed the way conservationists think. Uh, conservationists are now increasingly talking about landscapes beyond protected areas um, that need to be considered in, in the conservation planning. This is amazing. So this is a lot of what I've been talking about, why Wild Eyes was founded, was to be able to find new methodologies because our current conservation model of the past 100 years is failing us. It's not working. It got us to a point that protected species to where we are, but so many things globally are tipping now between climate, population increases, encroachment, less space for wildlife. Where is wildlife going to go? And in a place, as you had mentioned, like Namibia or Botswana, they have between them a population of just over 3 million people. Um, in a place like Kenya, uh, you've got, I, I don't know the current population numbers, but also a tremendous uh, amount of wildlife. It's a wildlife-rich area. So as people, and we were talking a little bit earlier about elections, which we won't get into, but the biggest issue today on everybody's political landscape, and especially in Africa, is the land issue. And it has to come down to, as Max was saying, we have to take the space for the wildlife into consideration into any strategy we make moving forward if we want to have uh, wildlife and especially something as large, an animal and a species as large and as incredible as elephants to share this world with us. So um, can you tell us, Max, about a couple of the projects that you're working on that uh, incorporate these aspects of designating land and who all and what all you have to work with and what actually is uh, taking place. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, we, Space for Giants has got four programs, and um, those programs, for example, are one is the mitigation of human-wildlife conflict, um, and that's really you know, formed the basis of this organization for a long time um, because if people can't tolerate um, wildlife and wildlife will have no future and and that's absolutely key. Uh, the second program is education and we've been very instrumental at least in this landscape in, in north central Kenya, Laikipia, in uh, training up the next generation of conservationists. So we're very keen on on getting people to postgraduate level so they can effectively manage um, projects themselves, they can fundraise, they can, they can bring in conservation investment um, and that's really important that we have the, you know, the next generation of African conservationists championing their wildlife. And, and that's a, it's a key thing that we do here. Um, the third area of work which 
seems to be what I'm spending most of my time doing now is in the prevention of poaching. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, um, in the course of this, of this interview. But um, the fourth area of conservation, which I'm increasingly excited about, and I think where we will be moving um, in, in the next few years, is space. And, and that's actually securing uh, landscapes for elephants. And, and when I say elephants, I, I also mean for, for everything else that shares the elephant range. Um, so those are the four areas of work. Um, and just to be a bit more specific about a, a, a really difficult piece of work that I did in this landscape um, with Space for Giants and our partners uh, for the last few years is developing a conservation strategy for Lycipia. So it's the first county level strategy in East Africa. Um, and it was much more challenging than just a species strategy because what we had to do is we had to involve all the stakeholders in this landscape, those who could make um, you know, strategy work for the landscape and those who could make it fail and, and get them around the table, um, putting all their ideas um, on the table until we had a document and a process in which everyone had buy-in. And we, we, did a, we, did a, we did a good job on that, and now we're, we're slowly implementing that strategy. So that's been really, really exciting. It's, that's, that's huge. It sounds very similar to our Western concept because we don't really have to deal with wildlife or predators or giants such as you do in Africa. Here in the U.S., it's gone. But it sounds like the community planner. And um, I think you just made a huge uh comment there a huge statement in that it's the first community planning strategy that includes wildlife on all levels where a lot of policy and politics seems to separate okay wildlife is over here uh, people need to come first we need to provide security for people food security economic security social security and I don't mean like our U.S. social security but it sounds like the strategy that you've created and it's working um, is is a huge step in that it's the first of its kind that really included and incorporates um, a flagship species, so to speak, as the elephant, as the umbrella for all the biodiversity that requires the elephant for survival. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think that's right, Ellie. I think you know it's been. I mean, you know, the easy bit was was developing a strategy. It's much harder, obviously, to implement it. Um, Absolutely. But, but, but we've had the process of buying. I think, um, you know, while, um, you know, Kenya and obviously um, that the bit of the states that, that you live in, Colorado, are very different. There are similarities, uh, you know, in terms of conservation challenges. Um, I mean, the wide ranging species of, you know, um, grizzly bear, um, wolves. I mean, big, fierce animals are incredibly hard to accommodate um, in places with people in places that are undergoing change and development. And I think those challenges are shared um, in, in many ways, uh, um, not just in, um, in North America and South America and Africa, but also in Asia. And really, if we want these animals and, and the incredible biodiversity that they share um, in the landscapes that they live in, um, we're going to have to do an awful lot in the next 20 years. I'd say we have to do an awful lot starting right now so that in 20 years, we have been able to implement a strategy that includes every living thing on this planet. Um, you said so many things there that were highly important. Uh, 
and I, I kind of lost my thread. So I'm just going to uh, go over to another question that you and I in, in some conversations we've discussed. We've got about three minutes until our break. Um, you've given us a great overview of the types of pro- uh, projects that Space for Giants needs to incorporate to accomplish the goal of creating Space for Giants. Um, and what is the and, and you lightly covered the difference between public and um, national park land to private. So, what are the challenges? You, you covered this brief, briefly, and we've got three minutes, so maybe just get into a little start of the different challenges of bringing these groups of stakeholders together on private land and how this compares to, let's say, a top-down implementation of creating a national park. I'm a bit more interested in the side of pulling private landowners together. Well, that's a great question. I think the the underlying issue really is about value. Um, local people's values, what do they value? And, and how do you ensure that your, um, your ambitions are um, dovetailed theirs? So are there, are there mutually achievable outputs um, and outcomes that, that you can focus on? And that's really key with private landowners is, you know, if, if your values and their values are aligned, then there's a lot you can do together. Okay, um, so now you've brought up another really interesting point that we've talked a lot about on our wild world. And we'll, we've got two minutes to the break, so I'm just going to give a little information here. Mac, Dr. Max Graham, uh, he's the CEO and founder of Space for Giants. You can find Space for Giants on the web at spaceforgiants.org, all one world, word, and uh, learn more about their projects and Max and their team and uh, the various projects that they're doing. We're going to get a little bit more into um, a little more detail of the variety of projects that they're doing and how you, the listener, or the interested and concerned person can make a difference, donate, uh, uh, provide time, your value, and your expertise and skill to help these projects come along. So we, we're going to head into the break, and Max and I will be right back. You can certainly call into the show at 866-472-5788, or you can send me an email at wildize at wildeyes.org. We would love to hear from you, and we'll be right back after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. 
She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back, and we are uh, talking with Dr. Max Graham today, who is the founder and CEO of Space for Giants in Kenya. And before the break, we were talking about the value of wildlife, the value of land, and how this uh, is a slightly different uh, bailiwick, so to speak, than uh, dealing with national parks. And Max does a lot of work in setting up a strategy and an, uh, an implementation plan working with private landowners to create space for giants. Max, um, how do you coordinate not only with the other landholders uh, on, on the wealthier side, let's say, who have large landscapes that have elephants crossing a, uh, through them, along with the smallholder, let's call it the, 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 the individual pastoralist who also, or agriculturalist, because um, they're on very different levels of value and, and income. How do you bring all these different people, landowners and local people, together to engage them for your purpose? Um, Ellie, the answer is with great difficulty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, what we talked to before the break a little bit about values, and I think that's the bottom line is, is um, you, know, you, you need to be realistic about um, what people's values are, and um, that is very much defined by by what is possible on the land that they own and occupy. Um, and and I think you know, in terms in terms of where I am, you know, like if there's a 10,000 square kilometer um, county, and in that county in the south, um, there's quite a lot of rainfall, um, enough rainfall to eke out a living from cultivation. 
And where people are cultivating, they find it incredibly difficult to accommodate wildlife, such as elephants. I mean, elephants can can come into a smallholder farm of one to five acres and cause so much damage that there's a subsistence crisis that results from that. And that's a real that's a real challenge to deal with. I mean, those people clearly cannot accommodate wildlife. But when you go north, um, where and rainfall um, drops off so that cultivation really isn't possible uh, unless it's irrigated, you're in a different place. The opportunity costs are so much lower so that wildlife becomes um, a, it becomes a, a possible form of land use. People can accommodate wildlife. They can um, diversify income streams from just uh, cattle ranching and looking after livestock to, to having some sort of tourism enterprise. And that is very exciting. I mean, there's huge chunks of sub-Saharan Africa where the rainfall gradient is such that you can't really cultivate, but you can keep cattle and you can keep wildlife. And in some places here, outside of protected areas, we're having this extraordinary situation where landowners are able to maintain livestock um, operations or, or, or whether they have subsistence or commercial uh, ranching, and they're able to accommodate wildlife alongside that. And that's very, very exciting in this landscape in particular. Definitely. So um, what, what you're defining here, to go back to what we were talking about before the break, is identifying landscapes such as what you were just describing where it takes pressure wildlife can survive without putting additional pressure on the the human need for that same resource and that's that basically i would say is the underlying definition of finding the solution to human wildlife conflict right absolutely and i mean i think um you know really as I said before, I mean, if you, if you, the bigger picture is that um, there are some places where wildlife has a future, um, and those places are um, heavily protected parks, and they're human-occupied landscapes where people can tolerate wildlife. And here, in you know, in this part of the world, you know, if you've got agriculture, it's very hard to accommodate wildlife. But outside of of, of places where um, where land is highly arable, there's, wildlife's got a real future. Where land is highly arable and you're trying to protect it, I'm afraid the future really is fences. I mean, you have to have heavily fenced landscapes. Um, and, and that's a real challenge to deal with. Um, but what's exciting about, you know, much of, of where, where we are is that, you, you know, the, 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 there is an opportunity for, for wildlife to survive. But let me give you some examples. I mean, you know, um, here in, in, in northern Kenya, um, one of our partner organizations, the Northern Rangelands Trust, has been remarkably successful at bringing in um, community-owned land um, and helping communities to form their own wildlife conservancies. And the reason that's been possible is because the communities living there, uh, their, their opportunities are actually quite limited with what they can do with that land. They can keep cattle. Um, and they can they can operate tourism enterprises and keep wildlife, and that gives them an opportunity to diversify their income and get access to you know livelihood benefits that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. And you know the Northern Rangelands Trust you know started with just a few thousand acres of community land. It's now expanded to encompassing millions of acres of community land, and it's been one of the most successful um, community 
conservation initiatives in Africa. And, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's, you're really seeing that on the ground now in terms of differences and attitudes towards wildlife. This is so exciting because a lot of what we talk about is the doom and gloom, or not so much what we talk about. Um, what this show is about is showing, uh, is highlighting what can be done, what is being done to help protect our wild world. And in the overwhelming picture of despair that we have today, that we're reaching tipping points everywhere, what it's really important, what I, and what I hope to highlight with having guests like Dr. Max Graham or Julian Rademeyer or um, any of the other guests that we've had on the show is that there are an incredible and an increasing amount of uh, projects and conservation issues and people working together that are going to be changing this model that hasn't been working for us to one that does work for us. So in that sense, we're, we've got a little bit into um, the value, and uh, it's, it's difficult to talk about wildlife conservation without mentioning policy or politics that Max does a lot of work on to bring and engage different parties to the table to come to a solution. So in that sense, I mentioned earlier that you're part of the IUCN Elephant Specialist Group. Could you tell us what that is and what it does a little more um, distinctly? Um, uh, absolutely, uh, Ellie. I think um, you know, the, the IUCN, um, the International Conservation Union, um, what it does, I mean, there's, there's a, something called the Species Survival Commission, and it's a global network of scientists field biologists and professionals, and they're, and they're committed to the conservation of species. Um, that's got 7,000 members, and the African Elephant Specialist Group sits under that Species Survival Commission. There are others that deal with other species, but it's essentially a technical group of experts. It's got 54 members um, throughout Africa, and we really, what we do as a group, we provide support and advice to Governments um, that exist for you know that, that host um, elephants in their in their countries. Um, we support intergovernmental and non-governmental agencies, and we do that um, through building capacity, exchanging ideas. Um, the IUCN African Elephant Specialist Group produces two very important publications. Um, the first of those is an African Elephant Status Report, which comes out every few years and provides a an understanding of the of the population of African elephants throughout Africa. You know how many there are, where they're located, and what threats they're facing. Um, and it also produces a, um, a a publication called Pachyderm, which comes out every quarter. Um, and that's a scientific publication and and provides lots of information on on the sort of status of, of various conservation initi initiatives throughout um, Africa. So is there a, a way, so this, this is pretty heavy duty, it's very, it's critical, it's important, but for our average listener um, who is not a scientist, who's not down there on the ground having to deal with these issues on a day-to-day -day basis, um, they're, they're over here where we're, it's very far away as you said a little while ago. How do we engage, let's say, our listeners here in the West through a show like Our Wild World to get involved and understand and absorb and digest so that they can take this issue and bring it into a scale that they can mentally manage. How can we get involved? How can we help 
in organizations such as Space for Giants. I'll say here right now, Wild Eyes is, um, Space for Giants is one of Wild Eyes' newest grantees. We will be f- providing financial and economic support so that Space for Giants can do its work. We're focused on one aspect of Space for Giants works, which is um, providing funding for the Mike Scouts, which is the monitoring and the killing of elephants. So it's all very connected. You've got the IUCN, you've got the the CITES, you've got traffic, you've got all these acronyms um, that are are on a large scale. But how do people, your average person, how do they find a way to get involved and bring this to a, a scale that they can wrap their minds around? It's, um, it's a very good question. Um, you know, I, I imagine it must be immensely confusing to um, a lot of people out there in the public as to as to how to support and get involved in wildlife conservation. There are so many different organisations out there, and the the real I think the answer to that is to is personal engagement. I mean, for me. Um, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than meeting someone, you know, face to face who's come out to Africa, spent time on safari and looked at small local projects that they want to get involved in and then provide consistent support. Um, but that is the bottom line. And, and I think, um, a lot of people give, you know, a donation here, a donation there, but it's really, in, it's critical for the, the public to understand that what you need more than anything is sustainable sources of support to enable activities to move on for for many years. So I think you know I, w- I would highly recommend that if people can they come out and see for themselves um, what the challenges are and what fantastic opportunities there are. Um, the second way to get involved is to find out what the issues are. Right now, in terms of of elephants specifically, we're fi- we're facing a real crisis with African elephants in enormous decline. Um, up to 100 elephants a day are currently being killed in Africa. It's uh, an enormous challenge. And that challenge really needs to be addressed, not just from the work we do here on the ground, which is you know, prevention and poaching, but it also requires people to actively lobby their governments um, to leverage the incredible power of the United States and the international stage to apply, apply pressure to those countries that are currently um, that currently hold illegal markets to ivory, because unless demand changes, unless something happens to the, on the demand side, we will not have African elephants in the wild in the next 10 years. African elephant populations are disappearing incredibly fast, and it's something I never thought I would see in my lifetime that is actually coming to play now is the loss of the loss of African elephants in the wild. So I'm just going to clarify for our listeners a little bit. We've done some shows uh, over the last couple of months that are highlighting what's going on with elephants. So when um, Max talks about the word demand, it's not demand for the elephant itself. It's demand for its ivory, two teeth. And for these two teeth, um, to, to get these two teeth from an elephant, the elephant must die. And the demand uh, for ivory, without getting into a political discussion, is um, organized and monitored and managed through some parastatal organizations. We had a show where we discussed CITES, um, the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species. So this goes back to a little bit of how um, 
I don't want to use the word convoluted, but how collaborative. Let's use the word collaborative. All these governmental and non-governmental and parastatal organizations need to be in today's world and how the average person should learn a bit about all of this and how they work together so that they can be an activist for elephants. So right now um, it's China that has a huge demand and a building demand for uh, elephant ivory. And it's Vietnam and Thailand for rhino horn. The difference between rhino and elephant is you have to kill the elephant to get the ivory unless it's died naturally and you've got a cache. You don't have to kill a rhino to get the horn, but that's what's happening is rhinos are being killed. So Wild Eyes, um, with the help of our colleagues such as Max Graham, we made a short film, The Elephant in the Room. It's available on YouTube. We There's two shows in our archives that you can listen to more about what is going on about the elephant and the making of that film, and you can see the film. So what Max and many organizations today are trying to do, and this is what's so critical to understand, is we're creating new avenues and new methodologies that take old data and in, in, in history of data into play to come up with a new management strategy, as Max said, to incorporate living with wildlife and such gigantic animals as, as elephants and then predators. So th- it's, it's hard work. As Mac has, has said, it's, it's not easy. So part of what uh, the land management strategies that Max is very involved in on um, very uh, deep scales or it, beyond just walk, talking to the local landowner and uh, the pastoralist is um, it's, it's, it's about land management. And you know, some terms you could say holistic land, land management. There's, um, different philosophies and uh, points about removing wildlife to reclaim land or bringing back massive herds of wildlife because that's the natural system. But Max, what I think you have an ability to talk about is the ideal landscape for megafauna such as elephants and where we might be able to maintain or secure these and what practical tools could be used for doing so. Um. Ellie, thanks very much. I think, um, you know, the, the, in terms of ideal landscapes, we're in, in Southern Africa, there's been this real move towards creating mega landscapes for mega herbivores, um, you know, and elephants. And, but, but really, that, that's, that's something that's been very exciting. It's been very exciting seeing the, uh, Peak Park, the sort of the Peace Park Foundation, um, trying to create transboundary protected areas connecting the huge parks of South Africa, Mozambique, and Zimbabwe um, into these enormous landscapes that could realistically accommodate um, viable populations of wildlife into the future. At that little moment, it was perfect little spot to stop because we're going to carry on with this. It's time for a break, so we would love to hear from you. 866-472-5788. We're talking with Dr. Max Graham of Space for Giants, and you can find that online at spaceforgiants.org, and we'll be right back after the break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. 
Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back, and we're with Dr. Max Graham of Space for Giants, and he's calling in from Kenya today. You're welcome to call into the show or email, as uh, we just talked about. So before the break, we were talking about um, uh, some of the uh, large concepts and models that need to take place to uh, conserve a species as large and as critical to our biodiversity as the elephant. Um, Max, can you um, just, and to highlight for our listeners why you, you, you started talking about the decline, the massive decline. Let's get into that a little bit more so that people can connect the dots of what we're talking about and the importance of what you're doing. Ellie, um, absolutely. I think it's really important for people to understand that, that we're facing an unprecedented challenge. Um, right now, for example, the, the latest figures suggest that in 2011, um, over 11% of Africa's elephants were illegally killed. And that was mainly to supply ivory to illegal markets in Asia. Um, some places are, are, are facing much um, they're, they're facing much bigger challenges than others. For example, in Central Africa, it's believed that up to 20% of Central Africa's elephants were illegally killed in 2011. So it gives you an indication of just how serious uh, a challenge we're facing right now. Um, Sierra Leone's elephants were declared officially extinct just a few years ago. So we've got a big challenge on, and 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 this is something that requires a global response as well as um, boots on the ground in Africa. 
Absolutely. I've just been rereading Peter Beard's book, The End of the Game, which was first printed, I think, in the 1960s. And um, in the 1960s, there was severe drought in Kenya. And then in the 70s and the 80s, poaching really increased. So back in the safari days of where we first started exploiting Africa uh, in, under the words of discovery and, uh, you know, colonialism and dividing up the continent for resource use by the rest of the world. Let's say how many number, how many elephants did we have? Let's say in the 1800s and early 1900s on the planet. Well, I, mean, I think it's, it's difficult to know the exact numbers. Well, not an exact number, just, just a clue. But it was at least, you know, I mean, if you think that in the 1960s, they're estimated to be, you know, 1.3 million elephants, um, you know, just, and, and you can imagine how big the population would have been before that. We were talking about millions and millions of elephants across sub-Saharan Africa. So um, there's, there's a photograph in Peter Beard's book that is a, a two-page spread that shows, uh, are you, you're familiar with this book, right, Max? Yes, yeah, and yeah. Um, there's a there's a photo spread that shows thousands upon thousands from an aerial view of elephants walking across a landscape, and if you took one square inch of that photograph on a regular size coffee table book, there's ten elephants. So you can sort of multiply how many elephants you're seeing in this photograph. It's as Max has been saying, we're at an unprecedented time in not only our history, but in the world of the elephant history, we will never, ever see those herds again. So it's critical to maintain and preserve and protect and conserve what we have left. So in the 1920s, you're saying there were millions across Africa. And then what's happened in the last 50 to 100 years as Africa becomes an industrialized, it's no longer the dark continent or third world. It's an emerging industrialized nation. So what are some numbers? How can you give us some scale as to what's happened? Well, um, Ellie, you know, I think what's, what's really important for everyone to understand is that the peaks and troughs of elephant exploitation have occurred throughout um, throughout history, um, throughout human history and, and the continent, but particularly since the 1800s. And really interestingly, the, the, the peaks of elephant exploitation are associated with, um, with, with affluence, actually. So, for example, um, demand for elephant ivory was very, very high after the Industrial Revolution with increasing affluence in North America and Europe when there was huge demand for combs and piano keys. And that's when a lot of elephant, uh, elephant you know, ivory moved through the ports of, of Africa to, to Europe and North America. Um, that, that really de- declined in the world wars um, and, and then after world, the world wars with the economic depression. Um, and then something extraordinary happened in, from the 70s. Suddenly in the 70s, there was this huge peak in demand for ivory. And that was associated, interestingly enough, with demand from, from Japan at that time, and a lot of affluence in Japan at that time, and, and demand for, for these, these Hancocks, which are to give sort of signatures um, traditionally in, in Japan. And, 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 those, and that caused a huge increase in, in elephant exploitation. In fact, that was when it was incredibly severe. I mean, some of the historical images of entire families being wiped out 
are from this time. Some people refer to the period between the 70s and late 80s as an elephant holocaust because so many elephants were killed. I mean, uh, the continental population dropped by more than um, 50% from 1.3 million to 625,000. Um, some places lost huge numbers of elephants. For example, Kenya is believed to have lost 90% of its elephants in this time from about 167,000 to 16,000. Um, but, you know, what has been so encouraging up until recent years has been the recovery of elephant populations in Africa. So, for example, in 2007, there was a continental assessment which said, actually, elephants are increasing. They're increasing in southern Africa. They're increasing in eastern Africa. But from about 2009, that picture has been changing again, tragically. So I, I hope our listeners are, are, are getting all this. The, the, the peaks and troughs of elephant decline and population are directly related to human impact. And as Max uh, startlingly said, it has to do with affluence. So the, the visual picture that the average Westerner has when you say a poacher is really a small part of the problem. We're not really having people out there with a bow and arrow or a spear killing elephants for subsistence or sustenance as we did two centuries ago. What we have now is a huge human-fed demand for elephant parts um, that are that is decimating the population. So not only do we need real hard work on the ground, such as what Space for Giants and Max is doing, we also need to educate people that ivory uh, is is belongs to somebody else. It belongs to the elephant and that it's really not necessary today or we have to make that decision. Do we want elephants or do we want trinkets and carvings? And uh, as we re- as we become more affluent as as a global society, and we want to reconnect with our traditional and historical culture, are we going to put this kind of pressure on our wildlife? Is it our right, um, or how can we manage this so that we can all survive? Um, and and a lot of this was dealt at the the 2013 CITES meeting. So uh, and and it's hitting the major news now with. Um, uh, National Geographic's Blood Ivory article and their uh, associated Battle for the Elephants film in 2011, the article done by Guillaume Bon and Alex Shumatov through Vanity Fair, Agony and Ivory. So, Max, what I see is that, you know, the horror isn't hitting home. Um, so what's so incredible about what you're doing, and I want to talk about some of the other opportunities Space for Giants offers to get people inspired, engaged, and feeling good about what's going on as opposed to being overwhelmed by the massive decline? How do we, how do we um, bring those two together so that we can, we, we can have hope? Um, thanks, Andy. I, mean, I think you know, we need to deal with two sides of the equation, and one is the demand and one is the supply. And demand uh, actually is, is much simpler then people realize what we need to do on the demand side is we need the Chinese government um, to take action um, on their illegal market for ivory. Because if the Chinese government says it's wrong, then the Chinese people will listen. And we know that from some very good research that was done by the Nature Conservancy. Um, 
and 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 that and that's something that I believe is achievable. I, I believe that China does want to be part uh, of a of a global community, does want to be seen as responsible. And I think that with pressure, um, both internally and from outside, there will be change in China. I've got confidence in that, and, and I think that that people need to be more positive and optimistic about the opportunity that does exist there in China. But that does mean that you know we do need to be working with the likes of yourselves and, and, and supporting you to produce that fantastic film you did at, um, and, and make sure that's available in China. Um, and it means working with um, the Nature Conservancy, for example, and ourselves um, to, to, to actually invest in awareness creation in, in China. On the demand side, it's slightly different. I mean, in the demand side, um, sorry, on the supply side, what we need really is law enforcement. And we've had spectacular success here in northern Kenya recently by putting in a community policing force in place. And, and that really means that um, suddenly we've got the capacity on the ground to respond to, to threats and create a deterrent. Um, and that's really the, the hard edge of, of, of conservation is, is, is increasing the capability to do policing. It's not pretty, it's necessary at the moment, and hopefully it won't be necessary in the future. The soft side of that is some of the things we we're talking about earlier. It's actually um, creating awareness among local communities and, and local government of the value of their wildlife resources. And we're using really creative tools like interactive drama, um, we're using education at the local level um, to, to help get that message across. But importantly, and I think this is really key, is that people have got to see the value of wildlife. And that's where um, you know, payments to, to local people become really key and, and, and where people can feel um, the value of wildlife in their pocket, um, either through some sort of bursary to children or directly through employment. Employment is going to be key. And, and that's why we're very supportive of a, of a conservancy approach to conservation, conservancies that can accommodate wildlife enterprises, that can accommodate um, income and employment opportunities for, for local people. So you, you've just said a huge mouthful that this whole show has been an incredible amount of information. On, on, oh, we have a caller. Um, we have Jeff from Colorado is uh, here to ask Max a question. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I know Max. I've worked with Max a little bit. Uh, I went over there and volunteered. Excellent. With my wife. And um, I just wanted to talk about the elephant population really quick. If the latest estimates are correct... Um, then one out of five adult African elephants has been killed since 2009. That's scary. Yeah, I mean, some of those that... may have been killed legally, but, you know, you'd think most of those were poaching incidents. That brings up a question Max and I had talked about before and that has been on my, my mind a lot. Thank you very much, Jeff. Is that, yeah. are I the rates I just of... wanted to, uh, to ask, Max, what you thought of the new government? Who? I think we should have that one as another discussion because we've got <laughs> two minutes left for this show. So I didn't mean to cut that one off. I would love to have that discussion. Um, but I want to go back one second to um, the rates of decline. And it was a question I talked about with Max. Are elephants being decimated, poached, killed illegally? faster than they can reproduce, viably reproduce to maintain their numbers? 
Yes, they are. That's right. Uh, right now, we're losing elephants at a rate that populations are in net decline. Um, and that's across the board, across West, Central, East and Southern Africa. So that means we're reaching a tipping point at the rate that you and Jeff just um, mentioned. If we're losing 100 elephants a day across the range states and we're not producing 100 elephants a day to the point where they can get old enough to even have ivory, then what? We're reaching a tipping point in, what, three to five years? Let's be clear. There will not be elephants in Central Africa in five years' time, except in the most remote forests that exist. And that'll, current rates create enormous pressure on East Africa's remaining populations. There will not be elephants at current rates in 10 years' time in East Africa. And that will then create enormous pressure on Southern African elephant populations. So we're talking about in the, you know, between 10 and 20 years' time, at these current rates, losing African elephants from the wild. And that is an absolutely awful thought, I think, for all people out there who are listening to this show and, and, and beyond. And it's something we've got to deal with. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, that's, that's a sad note, but it's a very poignant and critical note. We're out of time today for our wild world, but I hope our listeners gain some interesting information and actions that they can take. Look up Space for Giants at spaceforgiants.org. Look up Wild Eyes at wildize.org. You can make a difference. You can donate to these projects. We can keep you updated. Um, we've let you know things are critical. The last several shows, things are critical, but there is so much incredible work and opportunities at hand to turn this around. So, make, Max, I would like to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Eddie. I very much enjoyed it. And hopefully since um, we, we, got some, we didn't get to cover everything, so perhaps you can come back and we can continue this conversation. I'd love nothing more, Ellie. Thanks very All much. All right. Well, you have a wonderful evening. I'm heading off into our wild world. My day has just begun. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.